Coming up, we are going back in time to August 2013 when I got my first big-time guest on. He is none other than the co-founder of Shazam, Chris Barton. The podcast has allowed me to make so many great connections, and Chris is definitely one of them. He's allowed me to interview him at a meetup, along with speaking at my very first event that I hosted and someone I consider a friend. So if you are on the fence about starting a podcast, definitely do it. All right, guys, here it is with the old theme music and all, my very first interview with Shazam co-founder Chris Barton back in August of 2013. Enjoy. Coming up, what do you do when your idea is truly ahead of its time? Well, I have Chris Barton, the co-founder and original CEO of Shazam, to talk about the early struggles and challenges of the widely popular app. Also, listen to the million-dollar question that I asked Chris about the future of the mobile space. All that and so much more. Welcome to the Mobile App Chat Podcast, where the top mobile app developers share their success stories. And now your host, Steve P. Young. Welcome to the Mobile App Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Steve P. Young, and I've got an awesome, awesome guest for you today. His name is Chris Spartan, and he's the co-founder and original CEO of Shazam. Chris, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Steve. Chris, I'm super, super excited to have you on. So I like to start off every show with some download numbers. Do you mind sharing the download numbers of Shazam? Yeah. So, um, well, what actually the way Shazam uh, announces its numbers rather than downloads is is users. Um, so that's um, ind- individual users, um, and uh, uh, there they've announced three hundred and fifty million. Sorry, Chris, you went out for a little bit. The other number that they um, that uh, they most recently announced was uh, seventy million monthly active users. Okay, so we lost the audio a little bit, but that's 350 million users and then 70 million active users every month. Yep, that's correct. That's amazing stats. Now, I want to talk about a little bit about how it all started because I think folks who are familiar with Shazam, they know the iPhone app really well, right? Like the iPhone commercials, and we're all familiar with that. But how did it first start out, Shazam? Yeah, so uh, we started uh, Shazam back in uh, 2000. So actually, the idea was, was an idea that I had in, in sort of late 1999. Um, and I, many people don't realize just you know, how dated Shazam really is. Um, and so, um, is it, the interesting thing about Shazam is that um, whereas it's quite common for a technology to be invented and then a business to be built around that. In the case of Shazam, we came up with an idea, but there was no technology that had been invented to support it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in those early days, what we had to do is actually go out and invent a technology that could do pattern recognition for music, most importantly, in a noisy environment. So there, there were technologies to pattern, use pattern recognition to identify music, but none of them would work in noisy environments. They would only work with like nice, clean radio streams um, or uh, internet music files and so on. Um, and when you introduce noise, it um, adds a lot of complexity to the problem of solving pattern recognition. So that was the original kind of uh, hurdle that Shazam had to overcome, um, and that included uh, you know, finding uh, my genius co-founder 
Avery Wang um, out of Stanford, um, who was kind of the perfect guy with four degrees from Stanford uh, and a PhD in, in audio and digital signal processing um, to actually go out and try to try to conquer this this problem that had not been conquered yet. So what were you actually doing when this idea popped into your mind? At the time, I was uh, actually, dur during my MBA, um, I did my MBA at, at UC Berkeley, Haas School of Business, um, and I was actually doing a semester abroad at, at London Business School in, in the UK, um, and it was there, I was actually living in London and studying at London Business School um, at the time that I came up with the, the, the idea for Shazam. I was in a brainstorming mode uh, trying to think of different businesses that I could start uh, in, in the latter half of my MBA. Um, and uh, and that's that's the time that I came up with the, the Shazam idea. And so I was able to kind of get started with the business um, in my last six months of the MBA. Were you listening to music at the time? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I wasn't. Um, I had had I had had a kind of a list of ideas that I was thinking about, um, and one one was this one related to identifying music. Um, and I was taking a class at, at London Business School called Strategic Innovation, um, and this class. Um, focused on how you should really try to think outside the box as you as you innovate in a, in the environment of a business, mm -hmm. uh, and so I was thinking about my idea, and, and actually my original idea um, was a very different approach for Shazam. Um, I knew that there was this problem of needing to identify music. Uh, I felt like it was something that I and many people um, would want to do, um, and, but I didn't know how to solve it. And so one of the original solutions I thought about was a very different approach. It was actually um, the idea would be to put software into radio feedback loop to get um, in for real time information around what songs were playing. Um, but of course that would only be live work that would only work with radio stations. Um, and I thought, well, this is going to be great because if I can roll this out across a lot of radio stations, I'll have this software being used by all these DJs. Um, and then I'll have this great sort of protective position in the market as the sole uh, source of information around what's being played in real time on radio. Um, and then um, because of the strategic innovation class, um, I was thinking, okay, well, let me come at this problem that I've just come up with. I've, I've sort of come up with a solution. I've come up with a kind of idea, a plan. Uh, but let me try to kind of come at it from different angles and sort of think outside the box on it. And so I started thinking, well, what if I did build this business and put software in all the radio stations and come up be the sole source of information around what was playing on radio? Um, what could someone do that would kind of circumvent and kind of leapfrog um, my business? Um, and so it was at that point I was uh, sitting in my uh, – my, my condo or my flat um, apartment in London and just kind of thinking about this, um, relaxing. And, and then I realized, oh my gosh, what if, what if someone could just identify the music from the sound itself? Then you wouldn't even need to know what's playing on the radio. And, uh, and if it just you worked with a sound coming over the microphone of a phone. And um, it just seemed, it seemed like a bit like a crazy idea, mm -hmm. um, but it also kind of felt to me like it should be possible. Um, and then, of course, instantly I recognized that um, the you know a couple of the great things that would come along with that approach would be that it would work on everywhere, not just radio, but bars, clubs, cafes, cinema, theater, whatever. Um, and that also um, it would be a much simpler user experience because you wouldn't have to say which radio station you're listening to. Interesting. And so, what's that first step that you took after the idea? So uh, basically, once I came up with this idea, I quickly knew, okay, well. We want to invent this technology, you know, and maybe it already exists out there. And so I went to the resort is good old Google.com to start <laughs> for people that uh, did research in um, music and sound and, and analysis of sound and, and so on. Um, and obviously, I, I wasn't an expert in this. And I had already found two other co-founders that agreed to start a business with me, um, but neither of them were te technology experts either. So, but we were all very good at um, 
persistence and research and, and finding the answer to almost anything. So um, after a lot of Google searches and even at, we, we started to identify that uh, it appeared that the people had that, that, that sort of the deepest technical knowledge of identifying, of sort of not identifying, but kind of analyzing music sounds were people that were PhDs in electrical engineering uh, focused on signal processing and specifically focused on audio signal processing. And we also then, um, with a lot of research, found that many of the people who had published in these areas were people um, out of uh, two or three programs. So the two primary programs um, being uh, the Stanford uh, program called CCRMA, which stands for Compu Center for Computer Research in Music and Acoustics, uh, and then the MIT program called MIT Media Lab. And um, both those programs um, had a diverse a set of students doing different types of things, but quite often within those programs there would be um, some folks who are PhDs in audio signal processing. Um, and um, so we started to reach out to some of those folks uh, and uh, and spoke to a, a whole bunch of them. And actually, many of these folks, really, really incredibly bright, smart people, um, when we presented the problem we were trying to solve, they told us it was impossible. I mean, not only they knew of no technology they could do it, and they actually couldn't think of any way to do it um, because of the incredible challenges of introducing noise and scale at the same time. So if you only wanted to identify a, a song within a database of 100 songs that had noise, that might be one problem that you could, you could tackle. But if you did that against a database of millions of songs, that would become extremely hard. So it, that, that's, that was basically our next steps, is to hunt down and find the perfect sort of, sort of genius guy to help essentially conquer this, uh, crack the code, shall we say, and invent this new technology. Now, did you have to convince your other two co-founders to jump on board with this idea, or they're like instantly hooked? That's a great question. So we would, uh, within the three of us uh, co-founders, I I kind of always ended up being the the crazy guy with all the crazy ideas. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so yeah. typically um, of the three co-founders, uh, I always like to say, you know, everyone brings different different talents to the table. Um, one of the my co-founders, I always like to say, has the productivity of ten superhumans. Um, so that's a he's incredibly productive and amazing at just making things happen. Um, one of my co-founders um, has a, a very kind of uh, uh, almost like a Buddhist um, sort of uh, philosophical approach to to life and and to business that was extremely valuable and thinking about um, people and cultures and and uh, building great organizations um, and so yeah and I was the guy with the with the crazy ideas um, <laughs> so uh, I definitely bounced some pretty crazy ideas off of them prior to this one um, and uh, and they would always kind of hear them out. Um, and would always kind of try to keep an open mind, but also, you know, challenge the ideas. Um, I think with regards to this idea, they, they, when I, when I basically told them this is what I would like to do, um, they, um, they responded by uh, liking the idea. They immediately saw that it could be like a really, really interesting proposition, uh, especially because, you know, the mobile phone markets were growing at such a rapid rate. And so clearly there was a big opportunity to do things on mobile phones. Um, but I think they're bigger. They definitely had the question mark of like, could we really find someone to invent this? And, and can it be invented? Because, again, we, we didn't find anyone that said they could invent it. And, and these were all PhDs out of Stanford and MIT that we were talking to. Um, but... Um, I had this strange persistence. I think um, I attribute it to the fact that um, my dad is a scientist. He's a nuclear physicist. And, and so I, I, and he has no knowledge whatsoever of audio signal processing. But I, have, I grew up in an environment of kind of, in, sort of invention, innovation, science, you know, deep science and so on at home. And, um, and so it kind of just felt like anything's feasible. Um, and uh, I even remember bouncing it off of him. And 
he's saying, can you see any theoretical reason why this should not be possible? And, and you know, he said no. Um, again, he's not an expert in the area, but from a, right. it just felt like fundamentally there's, there is, no matter how much noise there is, there is a kind of a robust signal within that noise of, of music in, in many cases. And so why should you not be able to identify it um, against a, a database of, of the actual music? And so when Shazam first started, you guys started out more as an SMS service. I don't think a lot of people are familiar with that because this was back in 2000, 2000, right? And so it's like, we don't have the iPhone yet. How was that like? I mean, what was that whole journey like? Yeah, so um, yeah, Shazam was definitely ahead of its time. I mean, when we uh, when we had this idea and you know, and we start, started to build the business together, as I said, in kind of early 2000, um, we were about three years ahead of the iPod. Um, and three years, three or four years ahead of iTunes. Um, and so we were like, you know, just, you know, not, not only were, were we kind of too advanced for mobile phones, we were pretty advanced even just for just music related uh, devices and services. Um, the apps, the app store or the iPhone didn't come out till 2007 and the app store in 2008. So we we're eight years too early for apps. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so yeah, we had to work uh, within the environment of what we had. We we certainly knew that we read all the research reports and we knew the oncoming uh, advent of a new generation of mobile, that um, mobile operators were buying 3G licenses um, so they could have much higher bandwidth services that might include things like music downloads and music videos. So we knew that was coming and it was in our original pitch decks. Um, and uh, and then we knew phones that were going to get more and more powerful and be able to do. I mean, at that time, a mobile phone had about uh, a screen that was black and white, um, and it had about room for about two to three lines of text. Um, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Nokia phones and and Ericsson phones and so on were big leaders at the time, right. and uh, and so they. Um, you know, it was very limited in terms of what you could do as a user experience. Um, so even though our, our our PowerPoint decks would kind of anticipate all these wonderful things we're going to be able to do, such as download the song, watch the video, recommend songs to friends, let your friends follow what tags you're tagging, you know, just all, all these different things, you know, see pictures of the artist and the album cover and all that stuff. The, all we, what we were limited to at the time of launch was um, the following service. You would dial uh, a phone number, a four-digit phone number, um, and then that would initiate a phone call to our interactive voice response system, IVR, um, we would then uh, record about 15 seconds of sound and then immediately terminate the call um, and then send you an SMS. And then in, that, in the 166 characters of the SMS, we would include uh, the name of the song, the artist, uh, the album, um, and that's pretty much it. Sometimes we could, um, if we were getting really advanced, we could do things like reply and buy the ringtone. Um, oh. and, that, and that would sort of like the most advanced feature um, other than identifying the song. And, um, and, but the interesting thing is that we were able, when we launched in the, in our first market was the UK, um, we did deals with all four of the major mobile operators in the UK, which was Vodafone, Orange, T-Mobile, and, uh, and what's now called O2, um, formerly British Telecom. And, uh, and we, uh, and as a result, the day that we launched in the UK, pretty much everyone with a mobile phone in the United Kingdom, uh, about uh, well over 95% of them, um, could could use Shazam so that those people all could pick up their phone, dial a four-digit number, almost like dialing four one one, and then enter into our interactive voice response system. We'd collect the sound and we'd send them an SMS to their phone. And actually, there was a charge that because that was our revenue model. Um, so much like dialing four one one costs a dollar, this would cost fifty pence each time you used it if we correctly identified the song. If we didn't, then we it was a free SMS. Mm. 
That's that's amazing. That's crazy. So that technology was already built. And now you're using SMS to kind of deliver the the soundtrack or the track to the user. Now, was there ever a low point throughout this whole process? Yeah. So I mean, there was. I think like many companies, you know, you you hear about the you hear about a lot of the kind of great hockey stick uh, success stories, um, such as uh, well, there's so many of them. Aren't there? yeah. There's Google, there's Facebook, there's uh, Pinterest. Uh, there's just so many companies that are are just these rocket ships. Um, but you know, for there's also kind of a significant number of companies that um, go through years of struggling before they actually get to um, their hockey stick. Um, and, and it's obviously outside of companies that never get to a hockey stick. Um, but um, you know, that some of those companies, a couple of the companies uh, that come to mind that fall in that category are uh, one that many people are not familiar with called Navtech, which um, was the first big company to build map data, mm-hmm. and which only once things like Google Maps and navigation and so on got big, only then did they become a, a very valuable company and ultimately was bought by Nokia for billions of dollars. Um, and then uh, another one is PayPal, actually. I, um, I encourage a lot of entrepreneurs to read uh, books about the PayPal uh, early days because that's a fascinating company that went through years and years of like almost bankruptcy and almost shutting down and bare, barely surviving um, and not knowing how they're going to pay the bills like, you know, a month, the next month and so on. Uh, um, and then eventually, you know, the right things came to de- together for PayPal, including obviously um, the, the adoption of PayPal as a ma- primary mechanism for payments on eBay by eBay users. Um, so Shazam similarly went through years of years of, uh, of tough times because um, although we had uh, a service that worked, as I described just now, and that was available for everyone to use um, and that had a revenue model and that was, um, a, you know, I, what I like to think of as a killer app. Um, still, the, the, you, to really sometimes realize that hockey stick of growth, you kind of need the right set of ingredients to come together. Um, like for YouTube, it included the advent of Flash Video. Without Flash Video, YouTube would have had a really tough time taking off. Um, and um, in the case of Shazam, it, it didn't have the app world that we live in today um, at the time of launch. Right. Um, and, and the app world is really that kind of final piece of friction um, that, that's that's removed um, for the discovery of applications, um, and then, um, and also, it's a it's a way of like it was sort of a forcing function for changing user behavior. You know, users understood in the app world that there are things you can download to your phone and then do cool stuff, and those are apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's nothing harder in in consumer facing businesses than um, one thing, and that one thing is changing consumer behavior. It's the single hardest thing and the single scariest thing. Um, and no matter who you are, even if you're Google or Facebook, um, it's, you can't just by default assume you're going to change user behavior when you introduce a new product. Um, and um, so that's what you know, Shazam was trying to change user behavior because we're trying to introduce this new concept of, hey, go out, take your phone out, and although you've never done this before, dial a four-digit number, hold it up, and then you know, it will identify the song and send you a message. But you, you have to get the message out about that, and you have to make people aware of it, and, you have to, and then people have to acquire that habit. Um, and because we had to have a revenue model, we had to charge for it, which is always a, a great way of slowing down adoption. Right. Um, and, um, and, so, uh, and, so, and so that created a lot of, a lot of uh, challenges. And ultimately, we're trying to change user behavior um, in a big way, and, and that becomes it's ultimately, of course, just lots and lots of marketing money, um, and you have to have kind of the right ROI uh, on marketing to for it to make sense to spend millions of dollars on marketing and, and get the right payback to justify that. So so essentially, it, what I would say, it, you know, it's a long-winded answer, but um, 
basically, you know, it wasn't until the app stores came about that Shazam really hit its hockey stick of, of, of all that friction being removed and discoverability and, and not, uh, being much easier and, and the user behavior inherently changed because people were using apps. Um, and that's when Shazam really rocketed in the years up to then. So Shazam went for several years, obviously, prior to those app stores. Um, uh, I think it's about six years in total between when it launched and when it was available in the iPhone app store. And during those years, those were really tough years. Um, they were tough because um, although we had a working service, um, we certainly didn't have enough revenue to pay the bills. Um, and so that calls for um, basically more funding and more funding during some of the most uh, challenging times for venture funded startups uh, in the last uh, few decades, um, which was basically 2001, 2002, 2003. They're very tough years um, when people were very doubtful about startups in general. Um, and it wasn't until the sort of kind of second coming that we had with Google in 2004 and so on when, when people really believed in consumer propositions on, on mobile and the internet. So during those years, it was, it was tough times and we struggled to, uh, to raise money and, and keep, keep enough money in the banks to, to keep, you know, hire the employees and pay the employees and to keep this business running. Did you ever feel like giving up? No, I never did. I always, uh, I always believed the potential was there. And I just, I, I just, uh, I believe that that's kind of, it's really one of the core ingredients of, of entrepreneurial success is, is persistence, um, determination and, um, just belief in your, in your vision. And, um, and so I, I just thought it was just a matter of, of just trying harder and, and sticking it out and trying new things and partnering back then it was more partnering with mobile operators to kind of try to enhance that, that growth and, and bring in revenue streams and get more kind of right on top of their marketing. Um, so I just felt like it's just trying, you know, more and more of just trying harder, trying harder, trying harder. And there always seemed to be some kind of glimmer of hope around the corner. I mean, whether it was like when the first, um, first applications that came to mobile phones were actually Java applications um, and Brew applications the years before the iPhone. And those actually did create a bump up in, in kind of revenues and, and opportunities for Shazam. Um, and, uh, and so there, were, there always seemed to be things like that kind of around the corner or um, that where Shazam would kind of find its way to uh, a more and more successful uh, kind of revenue model um, and, uh, and user discoverability and, and user experience and so on. So, yeah, so I've never, there was never a point where I, I felt like, like giving up, and fortunately, I've stuck it out. Well, Chris, I know that when people say they build something, they're like, yeah, it was just ahead of their time, and they think they end up giving up. I think you are you were completely ahead of the time, and then to see Shazam just grow to the sort of like a staple app on, for any iPhone user or any mobile user, to see it kind of reach that point and to reach its success, it's amazing. I, I want to congratulate on you on you on that, because that's... that. The perseverance that to go through it all and to kind of stick it through, it, it I think it's absolutely amazing. No, oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's like as you just realize that when it comes to all these things, I mean, it's a combination of of of, of, of you know blood, sweat, and tears, and persistence, but also luck, frankly frankly, because there's a lot of externalities that are out of your control and things coming together. And so, I, I every day I, I am I'm thankful for for Apple and what it, what it really did to, to the world and, and to all the, the, all the opportunities that now exist for, um, entrepreneurs and, and existing tech startup, uh, sorry, existing technology companies, even like Google and Facebook in this mobile world that's been recreated, um, all, all with the initiative of, of Apple. I, I actually worked on the Android team in the early days at Google. Um, 
back when it was uh, just a few million devices shipped and just uh, less than 100 employees in Android. And, uh, and, and even Android's success um, it all comes really from that, that kind of that, uh, that uh, disruption that, that, that Apple introduced. So, so it's really, we should all be thanking Apple, I think, uh, for even for Shazam's success. Well, Chris, this is the million-dollar question. I want everyone listening to take notes right now. What's coming up next in the next five years? Because you are way ahead of your time, ahead of the time. So I'm going to jot down the notes. I'm going to start building it right after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming up next in terms of uh, in terms of opportunities within mobile, I guess is is where you're, you're headed. Anything? I mean, you you had this idea before we even thought about using a mobile phone to kind of think about apps. I mean, I mean, I think you thought you thought about apps before apps even existed. And so, I guess in the mobile space or anywhere really. But you're you're you've been a sort of an expert in the mobile space. So yeah, maybe in the mobile space. Yeah. And when you say what's coming out next, what was my prediction for what yeah, will be? Exactly. Will be. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that, you know, we've, we've really only scraped the surface and uh, in terms of what, what kind of, what can happen in the mobile world. Um, we're all, we're, you know, the big success stories are, are things like, you know, obviously Instagram and, Pandora and um, you know, a lot of a lot of sort of consumer centric um, mobile apps um, and uh, and and obviously some games like Angry Birds as well. Um, but I think that again we've only scraped the surface. So I think that what really what the mobile phone does is that actually it's not just another access point um, like a, a PC is via a website. It's not just another access point to uh, an internet or, or a technology service um, because it actually does. Um, have disruptive qualities. I mean, it has all of these sensors um, that 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 were not available on on phones, um, at, such as uh, you know the gyroscope and GPS and uh, accelerometer and so on. Um, so it, it introduces completely new capabilities that w- have not been available previously. Um, and also because of its mo- mobility, um, it, uh, it it obviously is is usable in in many different environments in many different ways than than, than computers have been used, and so it, it creates all these opportunities for I think uh, many of many existing industries to, to be have significant change um, uh, that's brought to them by entrepreneurs. Um, uh, one industry in particular that I'm really fascinated by now is healthcare. Um, I think healthcare is an industry, and, and, and by the way, it's not to say it's the only one because I think many, if not most, industries will be affected by the, the opportunities um, that are going to arise in mobile. Um, but um, I think there's just you know so much room um, to improve the way things are done and we're living in this sort of archaic world in, in healthcare. And I think a lot of those things can be solved because of the mobile phone now and, and apps and, and what you can do um, with apps, with the mobile phone and with all these sensors that are available and additional sensors that can be could be added to phones as well, specifically to be used by um, uh, medical practitioners. So um, so I think that that's, that's the area I'm, I'm really getting excited about right now on a, a personal front is, is healthcare um, opportunities for in mobile. Um, but, um, but I do think that, um, we're going to see many different industries, um, uh, sort of significantly impacted by innovations on mobile phones. Um, and, and many of those innovations are going to come from entrepreneurs because of the kind of, you know, clean slate that entrepreneurs start with when they think about things. And it's very different from old world companies that are tend to be more incremental in, in the way they, they approach things. Well, Chris, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. What is your favorite mobile app? So obviously with Shazam aside, um, I, uh, I have to say, um, 
I have to say, I thought about that a little bit, and I have to say it's really Google Maps. Um, it's it's it's, a, it's funny because this question gets asked a lot, and I, I kind of have to look back at my phone and think, okay, well, what uh, you know, what are the apps that, uh, that 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 I really use, that I really go to, that that, that really like change uh, my life in some way? Um, coincidentally, I, I'm I'm friends with uh, the original product manager that built Google Maps for mobile and phones, and it really is just an amazing app, and just constantly gets better and better and better. And I, I love how you can, um, when you're like abroad and you're worried about your data consumption, you can download all the maps um, resident right onto the phone over Wi-Fi, so that you don't have to keep accessing it. Um, I love just so many, so the, all the power in your hands that comes from Google Maps, um, and it doesn't often get a lot of the, the kind of the, the PR and press because it's sort of it's just considered a staple um, on phones. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but I think we should have to almost remember just you know how core it is to to what we're doing almost on a daily basis. Yeah, and that's what a past interviewee said about Shazam. It's like you know it's a boring answer, but Shazam. I mean, just the the immediate need for it. It's it's just a beautiful app. I know it's a boring answer, but yeah, it's a, it's Shazam. That's my favorite app, and so it's kind of funny that you said that about Google Maps too, because I absolutely agree. I love that app as well. So just for fun, give us a half baked idea for an app, something you wouldn't mind someone else working on. Uh, that's a hard one. Um, let's see. I think um, I actually think that there's an innovation around that that could be. It sort of kind of builds on the Google Maps. Uh, uh, Discussion we just had, but um, the, the kind of the, the app that I want is an app that as I uh, as I kind of walk around and I see something that I want to kind of bookmark, um, I want to I want a kind of like a, a map related app that sort of allows me to bookmark things that are important to me in my life. So um, I you know I'm out with friends and we see a cool restaurant and I want to like add that to my favorite restaurants. I just bookmark it and there it is. It kind of adds a point to the map and, and collects the information about that restaurant. Um, or um, someone recommends one or I just cycle by one that looks interesting or a cafe or, hey, look, there's a, a really, uh, I didn't know there was a bike store there. That could be useful for when I have friends in town bookmark. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that would be it. It would be like this sort of like, it would be almost like uh, it would be a map-based app, but coming at it from a different angle, coming at it from starting from the use case of always bookmarking um, those things that are kind of important to you um, as you come across them wherever you are when you're traveling or when you're in your own town. I love it. So what advice would you give anyone looking to build a mobile app? Really, uh, I think that, that it's there. you cannot underemphasize, obviously, in, uh, in this design-centric world we live in. I think people have great awareness for this, but um, just how important it is to get that, um, that simplicity, that delight, um, that kind of, you, you know, that just core, uh, just ease of use, um, getting it just right. Um, so, um, so that, uh, you know, if without that, just ultra simple, like you should be able to show this, your app to any user who has, practically doesn't even have any idea what it does. Um, and they should just be, you should see that they're within seconds, they're, they're successfully using it without getting confused. Um, and simplicity and then delight, you know, having it do things that just delight people. Um, those two ingredients are, are so core, I believe to, to, uh, to developing a, a successful mobile app. That's great advice. And if the audience wants to learn more about you and your products, where will they go? So, um, see, well, for Shazam products uh, and 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 all the great stuff um, going on at Shazam, um, which which you know is operating in 
in uh, everywhere from California to New York uh, to uh, the UK and so on. Um, obviously, Shazam.com. Um, and uh, they continue to build a great team and uh, partner with great companies. Um, and then um, and then for myself, you know, if you want to see what I'm up to, you can always find me on LinkedIn. And um, I'm, uh, I'm currently working at Dropbox uh, after spending quite a few years working at Google and uh, still out there um, enjoying uh, being on, the, on hopefully the cutting edge of technology. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Steve. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the Mobile App Chat Podcast. For all the show notes, visit us online at mobileappchat.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Just visit mobileappchat.com slash iTunes. Thank you.